You're listening to a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network production. Welcome to Run It Again. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. Please visit us at runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Coming up, with player demands looming, is Pac-12 football on the brink of shutting down? Plus, the XFL is back. Can The Rock finally get this league rolling? Let's turn the mic around and hear from our listeners. Have a question for me or Coach Martz? Send us an email at runitagainpod at gmail.com or leave a comment on social media at runitagainpod. Be sure and tune in every Tuesday for a new episode and a chance to hear your question answered. You're listening to a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network production. We'll be back after this message. Hey, it's Jesse Cage. Every Thursday, I release a podcast called First Match. It's a wrestler's origin story podcast. And this week, we welcome the former president of WCW, Eric Bischoff. So who are you watching at that point? It a while ago, right? You know, <laughs> <a> like, <laughs> I have no choice but to reveal how freaking old I am. <laughs> oh, you're such a d- <laughs> Find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Get ready for the Run It Again podcast. Huddle up, huddle up. Every week, you'll be hearing stories that take you beyond the daily sports grind with unique insight from former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. Just feels like the college football season discussion gets more and more complicated. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on earth, Super Bowl winning coach Mike Martz. I do think professional sports has such an impact on the American psyche that I think everybody's going to want to try and get this up and running in some version of it. We'll connect you directly to the source and tell you what's really going on. The biggest issue is, and I think this is important, is they're not exposed to family either. Oh boy, that's going to be interesting. With conversations and tales from guys on the inside. So click the button to subscribe for free and you'll get episodes sent straight to your phone every week. It's Run It Again. Welcome to Run It Again. Now, here's Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. You'll appreciate this story here. And and I got to tell you this because I thought of you as it was going down. I walk into the kitchen a couple weeks ago and, you know, the boys, they like to give my wife a hard time. And that's, I guess that's just a part of what they do at their age. And I came in just in time to see her throw a spatula (laughs) with her opposite hand, her left hand and hit my son right on the ankle and took him down. Like you would have been proud of this because she moved to her right around the center island of the kitchen and let that spatula go like Dan Marino would let a ball go right from his waist area. And that damn thing. And I know he didn't think she could get to him. And, man, she let it go. And, pow, he went down. And, I, you know, he limped out of there. And that pretty much ended the argument. But I, I had to tell her I was impressed. Oh, that's, that's nice. So, you know, I had a, something like that happen to me when I was their age. Uh, my younger brother, I was a senior in high school. My younger brother was smaller than I was. And I'm sure I did something really stupid to upset him. And I had him, my hand on his head in the hallway and he was swinging at me. My mom got mad at me again. She was always mad at me. So she said, step outside. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I stepped outside. And as I walked out the back door, I caught a broom handle right over the top of my head, you know. <laughs> So later that spring, my senior year, I started dating Julie, my wife, and uh, something had happened, and she got mad at me for something again. 
I'm sure it was what it was warranted. Step yeah. outside. Well, you thought you would have thought that I would have remembered what that was. Step oh, out, yeah, right. boom! I get another broom handle. It got expensive for those Damn. brooms, you know. <laughs> I guess there's more than one way to get your point across, right? Yeah. What would happen today if that? You know, what would you know? What, how would that go about today in the news media, right? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm glad you, you, you gave me that perfect segue there. You teed that up because based on what's happening in our old conference, the Pac-12, uh, well, apparently nothing would happen because, you know, there's a different kind of voice out there. And I, I know you're up on this, but for our viewers or listeners that aren't, I'll just kind of recap this here. The, the Pac-12 football players have threatened a boycott. That's right, a boycott. They have threatened not to uh, practice or play games, all right, if a, a list of presented health, uh, safety, uh, what else, uh, compensation and social issues, social justice issues demands are not met. Uh, by the conference and addressed. Wow, that's, I, and, and this has been, <laughs> this happened now last week, uh, I want to say just over the weekend. And and I'll tell you, that's uh, that's a lot there. That's that's very interesting. It, it, in some ways, it's not surprising based on you know, what the country's been going through and uh, you know, social justice wise, so on and so forth. But I don't know that I've ever, uh, heard of this at the college football level or college sports level in a unified movement. This seems to have some traction. I don't know how much. I, I can't say there, there's a lot of legal traction. I don't know if any lawyers are involved, but there is something here, Mike, and, and there is something that obviously the Pac-12 and Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, has addressed and uh, some head coaches have addressed it. There's something here. Well, I, I had to laugh at it because it, it just makes me so angry. I just want to scream. Um, first of all, it's a privilege to play the game in college football. It's not a right. You don't have a right. right to play. It's a privilege. And when you signed that scholarship, you knew exactly what you were getting. And then all of a sudden, all the social uh, inequities in their mind have, have come about. Um, you know, what's it cost? 50 or 60 grand a year to go to UCLA, uh, somewhere in that. And, and right. their scholarship checks, I don't know what they are anymore, $1,500 a month or 2000 or whatever that is. It's got to come out close to 70 grand a year. You know, they're getting a free education where all these other kids are going into deep debt. And, and by the way, somewhere in here is lost the fact that they love playing this game. You know, and yeah. and now it's yeah. all these things that to me are somewhat contrived. And, you know, they see these coaches making a lot of money and a lot of money put into these facilities and they want they want some. Well, you're in school, you know, you, when you, you're an amateur. So you out and play professional or football or, you know, if you get an opportunity, that's great. But you, you knew what you were doing. When you signed on to this deal. And, and uh, I, I just think. This is the tail wagging the dog. Now, is, the NC2A is not my favorite topic because there's a lot of things about them I don't like. But, you know, one of the things you got to keep in mind is they're amateurs, uh, they're college students, and I think they have been the football players today. As you know, as you know, there's uh, these kids in these big programs are so sheltered throughout their lives 
through little league football, high school football, and college football, it's kind of like they don't know the real world. Uh, mm -hmm. Take the yeah. scholarships away from them and and uh, have them work for a living, you know, and, and go to school like so many other kids do. I I get so angry uh, about this kind of stuff. It's it's kind of a socialism kind of approach, and it just really ticks me off. You know, it feels like it's. I think a lot of these kids look at the pro athlete, and the pro athlete can be vocal on a different level. He he's he's earned that right number one, and it's just a different game. It's it's a different game from a marketing standpoint. Nowadays, with social media, everyone is their own marketing company. So I think they look at that and they think, well, yeah, we can do that same thing. And I. And while I'm not in, in favor of anything that's going on inside a program that's not right, I, I just don't know that this is the right way to go about it. A boycott. I boy, I've never I've never I've never understood that. I've never heard of that at that level. That's a for boy, can you imagine uh, let's just, I'll just throw an, an example out there. Can you imagine the the Ohio State football team or the Michigan football team? Uh, walking into the meeting room and telling Woody Hayes or Bo Schembechler we're boycotting. No, you know, I guess if he'd have 75 new guys in there within the next 24 hours. Well, I'm sure, you know, the culture in the West is different than the Midwest and the East coast. Uh, I coached in the big 10 and, and going from the uh, California back to Minnesota and coaching at the university of Minnesota and, and seeing the, the difference in players physically and emotionally, just how different the approach was and how important football was. And we weren't very good, but we were, stadium was always filled and football is so important and they love football. And somewhere, somewhere in this whole statement, nothing was ever said about football, you know, the game itself. And yeah. um, the, the whole thing has gotten out of control to some extent. I understand, I understand their, their sensitivity to the COVID checks and the, you know, making sure that they're safe. I get all that. I, I, I understand that. When you start talking about being exploited physically, economically, and academically, really? Are you serious? They're trying to graduate you. And, and my experience with college was they fight you half the time to, to graduate. They want to go to class, right. <laughs> you know? And right. these are the same guys now are saying, that, how are you being exploited? Really? Get out there and get a job in the real world sometime, kid, and then come and talk to me about that. It just it angers me to no end. Well, okay, so – the the topic of sooner or later will college athletes be paid and i'm talking uh, above you know what they normally get now they get a stipend and that's fair if you're living off campus you, you know you're going to get that you're going to get a per diem for travel for meals you know that's the standard stuff but you know what i'm talking about here i'm talking about a a basically a check cuz the the nca is already approved for next year the right for amateur athletes at this level to uh, be fully endorsed and make endorsement money uh, as long as it doesn't directly involve the school's logo and name, but they can now make money off of being college athletes. So there's a, there's a bit of a friction point here, Mike. Well, I, I think it comes down to me. It's very simple. You're going to school to make money or you're going to school to get an education. Um, you, you got the rest of your life to make money. And they're angry because 
the schools are building bigger with the money that they supposedly uh, get from these students in, in, in terms of gate receipts and the, the bowls and the playoffs, et cetera, right. that they're building and adding to the university, which may be the case. But they knew that when they signed that scholarship too. So, I mean, it's part of being an amateur. And can they give them more money? Yeah, sure. But, you know, they, they are so far from the real world and what regular students have to go through right now, it's ridiculous. And really what you ought to do is do away with the education and just make a, a minor league for these kids. You know, <laughs> that, you know, there you go. That You just hit it on the head, and that's where I think this thing is going. I do too. Because it, it, there's clearly there's clearly for the school, the school that can say, oh, it's education first and it's football second. Stop. No, it's not. The, the fact that those college campuses right now, most of them w- will not have athletes or uh, students on campus studying, but yet your players are on campus playing football. That tells you where the money is being made and what's most important from a financial standpoint from the sports and how it relates to the school. Oh, no question. Um, but likewise, I think academically there's people, uh, going to school for labs and stuff that they can't do at home. You, you obviously you can't do this right. at home, right? Yeah. So, they've, they've said that, right. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. So there's academics, you know, there's labs, whether it's a engineering lab or biology lab or whatever that they have to be at and you, you can't get around those things. So, um, I, there just isn't an argument to me, where you can make where these kids have got to make a lot of money. And the fact that somebody's going to make some money off of uh, their likeness without the school's logo and all that, how, you can count on one hand how many football players that's going to happen to probably in the Pac-12 that are recognizable like that. You know, it's different in basketball. You know, that's totally different in basketball. But there's how many, how many athletes are there that are going to actually make money off of that? So these students are fighting for – a stipend or, or the right to, you know, sell their likeness or whatever and be recognized. But well, we're probably less than 1% of all the college players are going to have that opportunity. It doesn't make sense to me to be, to be even be worried about it. So let me run this back. And you just mentioned something once again that, that triggered this thought. Is there a difference in the virus the, the medical makeup, the uh, the scientific makeup of the virus on on the East Coast and, and on the West Coast. <laughs> what what is it that's making the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten? Why why are they? It looks like it's just full speed ahead. Uh, let's go play football down yeah, in the so, South. Let's go play football. But so now boring. on the West Coast, you're you're, you're talking boycotts. What it's is a, what's the difference? Am I missing something here? No, you're right. It's about the game of football. They love football down there. They love football in the Midwest. And do they love football on the West Coast? I used to think they did, but uh, this is this is the type of stuff. Like I said early, when we start talking about this, Ron, it's gotten away from the game itself and why you're there and what you're there to do: go to school and play the game. Um, they understand that in the Midwest and the SEC and etc. So. I don't know. It somebody has got a movement going here, and it's gathered some steam, like you, you know, you had referred to. So there's, I, I'd be curious to how many student athletes so in the Pac-12 really buy into this. Yeah, yeah, because and I understand. Okay, so uh, I've been told that well, the, the the chances of getting it in California because of the infection rates 
are greater than they are in parts of the South minus Florida because they had a blow up last month. But in general, the, the, the chances, the percentages that you're going to get it back East aren't the same as out here. Okay, got that part. However, once you get it, because you can get it anytime, any place, anywhere, whether the chances are 99% or 1%. Once you have it, do they feel like it's a different virus? Do they feel like, well, we can we can beat the virus? Is there something medically going on that's different? Or is it just like what you say? Maybe Maybe one side of the country has softened up, has gotten soft. I hate to say that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Pac-12 guy. You coach in the Pac-12 for a bunch of years. But boy, it's 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 it puts up a red flag and it's starting starting to make me think about a lot of things. I agree with you. I, I just you know, is it different? No, I don't I don't believe so. Uh, maybe it's morphed and changed a little bit uh, through different places through the country. We don't know nothing yeah. about it, I guess, but the virus, um, yeah. Yeah, the virus. But Let's just say you do uh, get COVID. It's not a death sentence. It never has been. It's less than one half of 1%. And for people in that age group, for instance, let's look at this. San Diego City Schools. All right. So Governor Newsom decided to shut all the schools down, right? San Diego City Schools from kindergarten through the senior year, since February, since this whole thing came up, none of those children that went to school, uh, that contracted they haven't lost any kids. You know what I mean? So it's a healthy group unless there's extenuating circumstances. So the chance of getting sick, yeah, but the chance of be, having it uh, be fatal, which it sounds like when I listen to the news, if you get COVID, it's like you died. Now, it's a terrible right. disease, and, right. I, and, I'm, and I, I certainly don't want it. And for somebody my age, in my category, it may very well be a death sentence, but you know, for these young kids, you, you get sick, you get sick. Um, and I, I just don't think that, uh, I think it's been put out there to some extent, like it's, it's so tragic that you're going to lose your life. And perhaps, you know, I'm not saying that you can't, or the, the reality is that you could, but the, it's very, very small, very, very small. Is it worth the risk? You know, that's down south and yeah. in the Midwest, it is. Yeah. 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 And, and we want to, obviously we're sensitive to maybe there's a couple kids who have uh, parents in the picture who are, are um, they have sensitive immune systems in some kind of way, pre-existing right. conditions. You know, we've seen this in the NFL guys with heart issues. They've, they've chosen to opt out. We get that part of it, but I, I still think in the big picture, like you say, you're talking about, 18 to 21, 22 year old kids who are at the prime of their life physically and athletically, that's, that's the makeup. That's the demographic that tends to do the best. Even though I know this last wave that has hit the country, more younger people have been exposed, but, uh, the, the, the death rate off of that and, and things like that, you just, you don't, you don't hear much from that that age group, that demographic. So no, they don't talk about that. But the I think the term the opt out uh, should be available for any college student who's got yeah. parents or they're with somebody with that has a, a chance of you know infecting them. Uh, there's no yeah. question they should be allowed to opt out and not lose eligibility. You know those things. But um, you know I, I think that would help immensely. 
but yeah. Uh, yeah. some of these things that they're aside from COVID that they were talking about in this demand letter, I'll call it, just uh, was just far from left field to me. I don't know. Well, to be continued, we will closely monitor that situation. Let's take a closer look. All right, that's college. <laughs> that's college football <laughs> for the morning, folks. All right, now for uh, the uh, COVID pro sports update. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's start with the MLB because we're going to get to everything else in a second. But let's start with the MLB and. Uh, the Miami Marlins had a little outbreak about two weeks ago, and Derek Jeter, the former MLB great, he uh, that's his team there, and he, he had something to say regarding that and where his team is headed. I think one of, one of the first and most important things that we all can do is, is, is to have a little empathy for our players. You know, they've been stricken with a, a virus that has no cure other than to run its course. Um, you know, our players and coaches went into this knowing that their health was on the line. And uh, unfortunately, they've had to endure quite a trying time over the last week plus. And we, we have seen uh, firsthand just how contagious this virus is. Um, <clears throat> you know, after we left spring training and, and numerous discussions and had numerous discussions, uh, you know, some of our traveling party had a false sense of security and comfort and, and how they, they handle themselves when we left Miami. In our review, it was determined we had guys leave to get coffee, to get clothes. A guy left to have dinner at a teammate's house. There were no other guests on site. There was no salacious activity. There was no hanging out at bars, no clubs, no running around Atlanta, no running around the town. What it boiled down to on this particular trip was guys were around each other. They got relaxed and they let their guard down. They were getting together in groups. They weren't wearing masks as much as they should have. They weren't social distancing. You know, everyone was getting tested. We went the whole spring training uh, 2.0, 2.0 without a positive. And the entire traveling party got a little too comfortable. Should they have been doing that? No. Uh, and that's been addressed. But there, there is no way to identify how this uh, got into our clubhouse. But any activities on Tuesday night were not it. Okay, so that's Derek Jeter, CEO of the Miami Marlins. He convinced me. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, I I uh, I took from that, Mike, that uh, you know guys weren't being uh, reckless, like as he said, salacious. Guys were, for the most part, uh, trying to follow protocol. But at the same time, it it, it tells me that it doesn't take much to come in contact and get infected. And it's going to happen again, I'm sure, with football or, you know, basketball. It's, it's going to happen. It just is, you know, the contact. And you have to brace yourself for it. And, you know, hopefully you do due diligence. I, hopefully all these clubs are going to do that, like he said, like Derek said, and social distance and wear masks and, and do what you have to do and follow the guidelines of, of the organization that, that they've laid down and, if they'll yeah. do that, then the chances of making through are, are probably pretty good. So, uh, I'm. It's a great example, though, for the rest of sports, college sports included. You know, and how important it is to have stringent guidelines. Uh, you know, within the sport itself and all the participants. Yeah. So, Mike, have you had a chance to watch many of the games? Uh, Whether it's baseball, basketball, any anything. I watched a little bit of baseball. Uh, I haven't seen any basketball. 
Yeah. I, I've not, to be honest with you, I've been, <laughs> I would tell you what I've been doing, but it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, you're, 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 you're enjoying Idaho like you're supposed to. It's, yeah. it's different. It's very different. I, the attempt to, to put, so what they've done is for those who haven't had a chance to see many games. So I'll take base or basketball, for instance, they take uh, a, a video cutout of a person at home, a live virtual person at home cheering, and they paste it like in a, in a section, in a seat. Then they take another one, paste it. And then so now you do that for a full section of maybe, I don't know, 500, 600 people. And it, it looks like from the camera angle that there's some people in the stands. Now you can tell they're virtual and it, and it looks a little, it looks a little, uh, you know, an anime, but it, it is people in the stands and they're cheering and so on and so forth. So I guess that's the life we live in right now. But you know what, Ron, uh, maybe the chargers watch that and I'll get some ideas for that. You know, could it like could it be could it be that teams like the Chargers actually have an increase in fans at the game uh, with this yeah. going on? <laughs> That's brutal, Ron. That's I know brutal. it is, but but, it, it, but it's brutal when you watch their games. Oh, yeah. I just I, that can't be what the league had in mind when. No they let them in this market. We, and we've talked about this before. We'll run this back again. It, it was obviously the Rams market when they came to LA and then the chargers, uh, because of their deal had to come up North here. And it's just, it's just a weird, weird vibe. Like they say, it's uh, what they call it. Road field advantage. When you play the chargers at home, you know, and I, I really believe talking to some people in the league that, Ownership throughout the league would much prefer that they be back in San Diego, and perhaps over the years, you know, they'll migrate back to San Diego. Uh, I don't know if ownership would have to change down there for that to happen. I, I really don't know, but there's such a falling out between the mayor and the city down there and the Charger organization right now. It's just completely untenable. So, uh, hopefully, hmm. uh, over the years, perhaps they'll migrate back. I, I hope they do because. Yeah, it, they had such a cult following down there. I'll I'll call it that because in San Diego, any team is gonna. It's hard because there's so many things going on in San Diego that people want to do. They're outdoors and you're involved in so many things. But uh, the Chargers, when they were going good, and you know the feeling between the city and the ownership uh, hadn't fallen to the point where it is now. Uh, it was a big deal. I mean, it was it was something special. It was fun to fun to see actually. Yeah, yeah, no, the energy down there. Man, when I, I, I still, Mike, when I hear the word Chargers, I think of I think of the Chargers of the of the late seventies and early eighties. Eighties, yeah. Yeah, and man, Eric all going down to, you know, from and I'll even go back to uh to Hadel at quarterback and and Bambi at receiver. Okay, now hold on, hold on, Ron, hold on. Now you're getting in my, you know, you're taking this now. You, my, my blood, my heart rate's up now. That I got goosebumps. You're talking about John Hadle, Keith Lincoln, Paul Lowe, Big Daddy Lipskin, Ernie Ladd, Earl Faison. Come on, Ed White. You know, holy cats. You know, I used to sneak into uh, Balboa Stadium, go to the cheap seats up there before they tore it down, and. We'd hop the fence to get in there, and there'd be about 25,000, 30,000 people there and see uh, see him play the Raiders, big double zero, Jim Otto at center, and 
Man, Jim I tell Otto. you, it was, it was yeah. something. It was something. Was that before? Was that before Jim Otto was with the Raiders or after? No, that was. Um, you know, the, when the AFL merged, that was before the merge, right? That so, was before. That was the old yeah. AFL you're right. talking about. Yes, That's the right. old AFL, yeah. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of our listeners don't may not realize the, the Chargers were in L.A., then they went down to San Diego, correct? Yeah, and I think that was probably like 1960, if I remember, 61, 60, something yeah. like that, yeah. 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 No, that was that was such a big deal, and the town just embraced it. Of course, Sid Gilman with his bow tie was standing on the sideline, and yeah. I used to send yeah. a, a game tapes when I was at the Rams in St. Louis back to Sid for his perusal, and he was he was bedridden most of the time at that point in his life, and I talked to his wife, and he'd send me notes back, and I talked to him on the phone about what we were doing and some some ideas. It was what a what a thrill that was. That and he really. Is a father of the of the modern passing game, if you will. He changed football completely. So, yeah, they had to be able to talk to him and have interaction with him was was pretty special. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, Charlie Joyner, Kellen Winslow, Wes Chandler. Uh, who was JJ oh, yeah. John Jefferson? Old old ASU guy. Man, yeah, that was sure that ball. And I I know when this is, we'll get into this as the season picks up. Your relationship with Sid Gilman and and the, the the architect, the true architect of the vertical passing game, you know, which is so much of what you did there at the Rams. But just to watch that ball in there, it, Mike, it was it was like art. It just looked like it it wasn't real. The way a guy could throw a ball standing at the at the other forty and drop it in the end zone, and a guy would catch it with two guys all over him. But that's what they did all the time. You know, one of the things about that is when, as a receiver, if you know where the ball's going to be thrown to and the, and the guy's just not waiting for you to get open or something like that, as yeah. well-defined as that passing, and that's what – it was the offense that we used, the Ernie Zampezi, Don Coriel, you know, that's our system. That's what we did. Now, we changed some things to fit us, but everything's based on timing and space. And on this deep route, you're going to catch the ball at 20 yards, two yards inside the numbers. So you got to get there on time. And the ball would be thrown. The receiver's not there, and all of a sudden he shows up. So everything is choreographed by time and space and number of steps. You know, you break out on your fourth inside. And, you know, everything like that is so well-defined that one is humming and everybody's on the same page, uh, it's – it goes so fast and is so sharp. It's almost impossible to stop. Well, apparently, because very few people could stop it. And, you know, as, as good as the Raiders were in the secondary for all those years when they had Lester Hayes and guys like Mike Davis and, and, and Van McCoy, they would just get opened up. I mean, oh, like yeah. you said, you couldn't stop it, it once it's not going. Yeah, get it. The, the downfall to him, of course, was – you know, being able to stop people, you know, the scoring yeah, part of it. Right. And they, so they, Tom Bass was the defensive coordinator and, and they had, uh, they had some, they had their moment on defense, but it just seemed like when they went back to play in that miserable, cold AFC championship game back there. And the, I guess it was uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 15 below yep. zero, whatever that was, you know, Dass, yep. they just, they couldn't do what they do. You know, it just, it was going to be yeah. tough for him, and of course it was. No, that, that's that's right. Yeah. 
Well, we'll we'll save some of this, man, for another uh, another another time because this is so good and we've got so much to talk there. And once the season is upon us and started, then we can really jump into that. The time is now. On the subject of who's back in town and who's back on the board, it looks like the XFL is going to try to make another run at it thanks to uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It was announced the other day that he purchased the team or purchased the league, rather, and a group of teams will be involved. And Mike, obviously, with your your dealings here with the AAF, you know, what, do you, what do you feel? What do you think about this? Will it work? Is it just a, a gimmick? What do you think? Well, there's, I feel I have strong feelings about. It. I think it's needed. Obviously, uh, I think it puts another 400 players to work, probably 70 more coaches if you have eight teams, and it won't make it unless the NFL gets involved. I'm convinced of that. And it has to be a developmental league. Otherwise you're going to look at it as a retread league, you know, and then the quality of play just isn't quite the same. I think what they need to do is, you know, allow them to use the NFL can help them uh, without cash. You know, if they let them use the venues, access to practice squad players, you know, the, they can place players instead of releasing them, you know, like in camp at this time of year, they cut somebody, they can release them to the roster for the spring league, for instance, uh, which would really help instead of having to have a draft there. And, you know, it's a great, it'd be a great training for the NFL officials. They can try things out that they want to try in the league. They can try in those games. I'd use the same rules and they could, you know, the biggest outlay for money was a lot was the equipment, the video, the computers, you know, the league could provide all that. So, I, you know, they're going to need help uh, to make it. And they've got to be solvent after three years. Uh, to make it to two years would be a miracle. To make it to three years would be outstanding. And if they make it to three years, then I think it's going to stick around for a while. But when you go back and look at the, the you know, the, um, you know, the league over there in Europe, uh, USFL, uh, you know, the players that we had at the Rams in the Super Bowl, there were four starters on the field that kick off that, you know, on our team from that league over there, it's needed. You know, we've talked about this ad nauseum about how young players don't have the opportunity anymore to develop. And there has to be somehow, some way, because you're going to gloss over a lot of really good players, AKA uh, Kurt Warner, that without an opportunity to develop and get looked at, they're just not going to play. And there's room for it. There's a need for it. And, you know, we were somewhere between twenty five and 30,000 people at the games. So, and that was in San Diego when there's plenty to do in the springtime, buddy. So there's, you know, you got me started on this now. I could go forever on this, but I, I would love to see it. I also think that, uh, you know, it'd be a great place for the league to to place guys is head coaches and the kind of a diversity program, if you will, and get guys ex- on, on, you know, hands-on experience. There's just so many good things about it that I just wish the league would get involved and help it make it, but it's got to be organized properly. And they never seem to, to do that. They say they do. They say they're behind something, and but they stand on the other side of the curtain, and when it's about to fail, they, they, they then walk even further away. That that's my perception. Maybe I'm I th- wrong. Maybe. Well, I, I think the business model of every one of these things has not been very good. And I yeah. think they know that and they've investigated it. But if 
if they if it's done with the new owners, they sit down with the league and they marry this thing together to some extent, uh, like the personnel, player personnel, coaches, etc. Uh, it can make it, and and uh, if it's tied into the league, but it, there's a lot of work, and the league does not want a lot of extra work because they have to pay people for that. Is so, it Mike? Is it the extra work, or is it the liability that they don't want? I don't know about the liability. I, I do know it would take an awful lot of work for the league. It puts a lot uh, a strain on the personnel department to some extent, but I, I think it would be a good thing. Uh, I the just the reason why they got out of the USFL was the money. They just didn't, the owners just didn't feel that it was worth it. You know, yeah. the bottom line is what they make in terms and what they put in, as long as there's a big discrepancy there, they're going to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with the rock owning this thing, I I'm also curious to know, is this going to be more like NFL football or is it going to be more like WWE wrestling? I understand yeah. there's an entertainment level to everything, and I and I, I know you know Rock used to be a, he played a little ball down in Miami and all that, but it it feels like when guys like that are involved, there's a there's a natural pull to want to take it to that other entertainment level. That'd be Which if you maintain some foot the football aspect of it, the kind that we've grown up loving and doing. I get it, but if it if it turns into just a Saturday night show with, you know, with any kind of substance. And that, I have a problem with that. I do too. And that's why I think the business model is so important and that he takes the time to sit down with knowledgeable people on how this thing works. And there's so much money wasted at the top when these leagues start, uh, just on, on things yeah. that you, you have no massage therapists for players, just stupid stuff. <laughs> And and why they feel like this stuff's important, I don't know. Standard salaries for players and coaches, that's a given. You got to do that, you know, so that you can predict, you know, your your outlay. You know, you can predict the kind of money. Somebody's going to want to pay a guy extra money because he's such a good player. You can't you can't give into that type of stuff, you know. So there's a lot of other parameters that I'd like to go over. We just don't have enough time to do all that. But I, I do think that it's needed. I think it would be well-received. But the business model is extremely important before the NFL would ever want to get close to it. Remember, the other thing they'd have to sell it on is the NFLPA as well. Yeah, that's true. They, they, they got to do that. So when a new league starts, Mike, and, and you've been a, a part of plenty of leagues, but what's the number one hangup? And I, and I know you mentioned, you just mentioned, well, there's so many unseen costs and 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 hidden figures that people don't know about. But what's the one thing that that goes through the cl- cracks that sinks a league when it starts? Leadership. Some of the decisions, it gets top-heavy. All of a sudden, you have a lot of chiefs and not enough Indians there at the top. And they're, made, they're pulling down big salaries, right? And then they hire their friends. And then they want to – they all have a different vision. That's why there has to be a guy that starts this league that has a business plan for it that holds that business plan and there all this extraneous stuff that fireworks at halftime and all that kind of stuff, you know, you just want to get the league up and running for two years and solid, you know, that, that's what you want. Then after that, you can kind of tweak it a little bit, but they just, they have a lot of ideas that they want to experiment with other people's money to do. And you, you just can't do that. You know, it has to be bare bones to start with. 
bare bones. And that's where everything with these new leagues goes sideways because they're not. They're spending money on things that are just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. When uh, Let me go back to the USFL for a second because I was in my junior year in college when the USFL was rolling. And what was different from the USFL versus, remember the old World League? Yes. I, mean, I guess the, 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 yeah, the first World League of American football. They had a team in Orange County called the California Sun. Do you remember that? Mike? Yes, I do. I had a buddy yeah. who played on well, it. Not, yeah. not am I pronouncing that, that league right? I, I, for yeah. some reason, I think it was World something league, else. Yes. No, it was a World yeah. League, yeah. Yeah, the World League. Okay, so and there's probably been a, a handful of other ones that have come and gone since that time. But the USFL, like I mentioned, I was in college, and they were rolling, and they were getting top guys from college. I remember Steve Young signed a $40 million contract. Now, I had just played against Steve Young that year. And then months later, he, he signs a contract to go play in the USFL. And at that time, in 1983, $40 million to play football? That was unbelievable. Well, that's what sinks the league. Yeah. Right, right. And okay, so, but they were getting top-notch players. And what I was always told, my father used to say, well, what's different is they're actually purging some of the big-time players from college, and they're playing in this league. Uh, I don't know that leagues had been able to do that on that type of level. Herschel Walker was playing in that league. Jim Kelly was playing that, in that league. Uh, a couple other, couple other guys that end up being big-time standouts were playing in that league. So my, my point is, it's important to be able to get players, isn't it? I mean, the big-time players, right? It is, uh, I, I don't know that. I know the no. AFL, before they merged, obviously the one they stole was Joe Namath. I mean, they actually yeah. went down in the in the uh, final hours and almost abducted the guy, paid him a oh, bunch okay, of money. Right, right. And I'm, I'm sorry, I got to stop you here, Mike, because, yeah, now there's another new league situation, the old American Football League versus the old National Football League. The two right. leagues were split at one time. Yeah, they all became right. the NFL, but they used to be two different leagues, right? Yeah, was it 66 or whenever it was when they merged? Or yeah, yeah, 60, 66, 60, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but yeah. my point is um, there was there were enough players to warrant two big leagues like that. Yeah. Now, I don't know that that's the case. And you and remember the startup costs is what the, the NFL hadn't grown to what it is now. You know what I mean? So the money involved in the NFL in those days and the AFL – you know, it's it's laughable compared to what the way things are today. You know, there's monsters today. They were just little puppies back then. You know, so I, I think from a financial standpoint, that that was probably something that could happen. That could never happen today. They just couldn't do it. Um, and I do think though that uh, I, I do think what you do is the practice squad players from the league. I think you take four teams. Yeah, start with eight teams in this league. Take four. NFL teams per team that you can draw from, you know what I mean? Okay. And let these four NFL teams place these future players on there in the off season and yeah. uh, be committed to doing that. And, and then I think you'll see some really good players develop. You know, that's Tom Brady was a, what a six round draft pick or whatever. And that's right. You know, Mark Bulger was on practice squad when we grabbed him. So there's a, there's enough good players to play really good football. 
Now, it, no, to answer your question, you're not going to have uh, Patrick Mahomes in that league. It's not going to work. You know, you know, you pay him all that money, it just blows the league up. And that's why I'm yeah. saying at the top end, the money has got to be bare bones and you've got to do it right. If you if you let – and it can't, it's got to be a single ownership just like Dwayne Johnson's doing. And <clears throat> there's no threat now of an owner coming in and blowing this league up because he spent $40 million on a quarterback. And that's what destroys yeah. the league. Yeah, and he's got to hire the right people to have around him. You, you kind of mentioned this before. You, yes. If you get the wrong guys in there, you know, you bring you bring in. Oh, I'm going to bring in a you know a movie producer. He knows how to create excitement. He knows how to create drama. And that seems to me to be the first step in the wrong direction. Absolutely. They, you have. It's got to be about football. In these last two leagues, it really wasn't. Not not really. Yeah. And it's got to be about football and putting the best product on the field. You know what I mean? And without without cutting corners in terms of safety for these players, and that's why I say the league could provide all the equipment, uh, I just think it, until the league puts a rubber stamp on it and gets involved in it, uh, I just don't think it's got a chance of making it. I just don't. Yeah. You know, yeah. Unless there's a single owner like Dwayne Johnson, unless he really understands – football well enough and he puts together a good uh, front office where they can keep the cost down and put money where where it's actually you're going to see dividends from it instead of throwing it out the window like so many of these leagues have done. Yeah, well, hopefully it makes it because we le- we need it to, to make it and so do a, a lot of kids out there that can become pretty good football players one day. No so. question. Yeah, no question. All right, Mike, that's uh, that's our 40. Goes by fast every time it we does. talk football, doesn't it? It, it does. <laughs> we uh, we fixed everything, man. We fixed the whole world. We talked about college football and the boycott, and uh, we had our weekly COVID sports pro sports update. And we'll get another one next week, so don't worry. You know, I, up here when I was when you asked me if I'd been watching sports, I've been cutting yeah. firewood. It's been a chainsaw massacre up here. It's it's been ugly. It's been ugly. Dropping these trees, then trying to limb them and then cut them into those rounds and throw them in the back of the old truck and down the mountain I go with it. So, Man, be careful up there. You're going to read about me pinned underneath the tree someday. Oh, no, no. Please, (laughs) please. Make sure you you saw branches, not not you. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Bouncing it off your leg. Yeah, right. Chainsaw Massacre, buddy. Yep. All right. Good talking to you, brother. See you next week. Okay, Ryan. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to visit us at runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Now it's time to turn the mic around and hear from you, our listeners. Got a question for me or the coach? Just send us an email at runitagainpod at gmail.com or leave a comment on social media at runitagainpod. Be sure and join us next Tuesday as we answer some of those email and social media questions and examine the NHL playoffs. Remember, we're just two old pros trying to make you think a little. Be safe and stay healthy, everyone. Run it again with Ron Pitts and Coach Mike Marks, a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network's production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ted Woods, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Run It Again Podcast.